Welcome to a different kind of math class. That's the sound of teachers during our professional development conference this past summer. They're demonstrating fractions moving along a number line in a workshop titled, Sometimes You Just Gotta Dance It Out. In this workshop led by A-plus fellow Kristen Terry, teachers gained a better understanding of lines as visual art as well as a mathematical concept. Utilizing elements of dance, learners were able to gain understanding and show what they know, creating a truly different kind of math class. This workshop modeled experiential learning and enriched assessment. In this podcast, we'll be taking a closer look at these two essentials and seeking to find out more about creative engaging instruction and assessment that can help present a fuller picture of the learner and help increase achievement. I'm Tom Nubbles, Professional Development Manager for A-Plus Schools of North Carolina. Welcome to Essentially A-Plus. A-Plus Schools is the longest-running arts-based whole school reform model in the nation. A signature program of the North Carolina Arts Council, A-Plus Schools develop a creative culture in which the state's mandated curriculum is taught through collaboration and multidiscipline integration, with the arts continuously woven into every student's learning experience. Our network of schools includes pre-K through 12th grades in rural and urban communities, and it impacts more than 25,000 North Carolina students each year. Teachers and administrators in an A-plus school are trained on the A-plus essentials, eight foundational components that transform a school's practice, priorities, and identity, building an environment where teachers and students are excited to learn together. The A-plus essentials are arts, curriculum, multiple learning pathways, experiential learning, enriched assessment, collaboration, infrastructure, and climate. We're going to explore the A-plus essentials of experiential learning and enriched assessment and bring you practical tips from the A-plus network that will help you grow along your A-plus journey. In a recent survey, a selection of veteran A-plus leaders were asked, what goals do you have both with A-plus and with your larger vision for your school? The top five answers included engaging students, and increasing learning and achievement. When asked, what do you hope your staff will gain from your A-plus training, enriched assessment was the third answer, only behind planning time and arts integration strategies. Clearly, these A-plus essentials are often the ones with which beginning and even continuing A-plus schools need the most education and support. In A-plus schools, experiential learning creates student engagement, is grounded in arts-based and hands-on learning experiences, provides integrated and authentic connections to real-life application, models the creative process and inquiry-based instruction, allows for understanding of entry points and differentiated instruction, and provides multifaceted assessment opportunities. When I began to think about exploring experiential learning and enriched assessment, the old computer science concept of GIGO came to mind. This acronym, G-I-G-O, stands for Garbage In, Garbage Out, 
A programming slogan that implies bad input will result in bad output, or the result is is only as good as the program. We can view these two A-plus essentials as like the programming of the A-plus supercomputer, the human brain. Logic shows us that input should match output. Therefore, it stands to reason if students are learning differently, experiential learning, then they should also be assessed in a similar manner, enriched assessment. The theory of multiple intelligences also points us to the multi-storage approach. Much like backing up files to the cloud, an external hard drive, and your hard disk, by learning information in multimodal ways, the content is backed up in multiple areas of the brain and body. That information can then be accessed in multiple ways, providing redundancy and increasing the chance of recall. Creating records of our experiences in creative ways and trying to pass on that information is nothing new. NPR recently reported that scientists have found the oldest known figurative painting in a cave in Indonesia, and the stunning scene of a hunting party was painted some 44,000 years ago. Until recently, the long-held story was that humans started painting in caves in Europe. For example, art from the Chauvet Cave in France is dated as old as 37,000 years. But several years ago, a group of scientists started dating cave paintings in Indonesia, and they found that they are thousands of years older. The massive hunting scene stretches across about 16 feet of a cave wall and tells a complicated story. It depicts jungle buffaloes and wild pigs pursued by tiny hunters with spears and ropes. Scientists say the discovery has complicated what we know about when and where humans started to make figurative art. Genevieve von Petzinger, a paleoanthropologist at the University of Victoria, says the discoveries in her field are happening very quickly, thanks to newer technology, such as the technique used to date the hunting scene. She says, I think the overall theme here really is that we vastly underestimated the capacity of our ancestors. Artist Keith Haring wrote in a 1984 journal entry, People always ask me, where do you get all these ideas? You're probably familiar with Herring, even if you don't know his name. His colorful line drawings and murals of radiant babies, barking dogs, and anthropomorphic TVs have fascinated kids for decades. They are symbols that course with life and radiate joy. Also known to art lovers and historians are his further works, which simultaneously make potent comments about freedom, nuclear war, bigotry, the AIDS crisis, technology, and love. As Herring himself explained, I am continually trying to find new ways to bring these things into the world and to expand the definition of what an artist is. Throughout this podcast, we'll visit various art and artists as we make connections between the ways we learn and how we share our knowledge. Consider this case. When nine-year-old Joe Whale got into trouble for doodling during class, his parents sent Joe to an after-school art class, where his artistic abilities were quickly noticed by those around him. In fact, Joe was invited to decorate the dining room of the number four restaurant in Shrewsbury, England. Now, 
Joe is known as The Doodle Boy and has his own website as well as social media pages showing off his awesome art. When their kids get into trouble for something at school, some parents tend to shut that behavior down. However, others know how to recognize a talent that needs creative space to flourish, so they give them what they need. What's more, adults have to learn to differentiate between when a child is uninterested in something and when they are processing the information in a way other than verbal linguistic or what is expected. In fact, scientists are now encouraging learners to use the power of doodling in order to boost their learning potential. According to a fascinating new study, the fastest way to cram new information into your brain is by drawing it. The setup of the study by a Canadian research team was simple. A group of volunteers was asked to memorize a list of words or definitions. Half were instructed to repeatedly write them down. The others were told to draw them in order to memorize them. Who did better when tested for recall? The doodlers were the hands-down winners. And no, it didn't matter in the slightest if participants showed any artistic ability. After just 40 seconds of low-quality sketching, subjects not only remembered significantly more, but they also recalled more detail and context about the words and ideas they were studying. In short, they learned more, faster. So why is drawing such a powerful way to study? To figure this out, the researchers tried to narrow down what exactly about drawing was so effective. Would tracing an existing drawing of an idea have the same effect? Would looking at someone else's visual representation? While both of these approaches were better than just reading over a word or concept, drawing beat them all. The researchers hypothesized that's because drawing gives your brain so many different ways to engage with new material. You have to figure out how to draw it by imagining it in detail in your mind. You experience the physical feeling of rendering that idea. And then, in the end, you look at a visual representation of it. The bottom line is simple. Most of us are probably not using the best techniques to study. And drawing is at the top of the heap when it comes to research-backed approaches. Not only will it help you get smarter fast, but drawing is also so simple and discreet that you can use it in almost any setting, from a lecture hall to a meeting room. So, the next time you want to learn, don't read or write, doodle instead. How many of you, I have a, um, how many of you can recall, I remember, I have clear memories from elementary school of going to the library, and then I also remembered as a teacher with my students, they, they go into the library, um, and the, the, you get those drawing books, how to draw, normals, how to draw, uh, and what do you know about, like, if you remember those, like, what was, what did they do in those? Yeah, they just kind of, they took you through, you draw some circles, and then you draw another circle over here, and you kind of connect those things, and um, well, I'm going to ask you to do pretty much that. So we created a T-Rex using shapes. Um, what I'm going to ask you to do, so you've got the dry erase markers in your caddy. If you don't have one, I can get you one. Um, uh, and what I'd like for you to do is find some basic shapes on the image that you're looking at. So like on the tiger, I always think their nose is a triangle. And use the dry erase. That's A-plus fellow Nate Barton leading his workshop titled, Draw Them Into Learning. 
in which he teaches some basic art techniques and how to teach classes by drawing concepts such as the rock cycle step by step together with learners in what he calls a guided drawing. In his workshop, Nate gives multiple examples of famous instances of learning through images. From authors who use maps to illustrate the places they've created, to the informational graphics used by National Geographic magazine to bring complex concepts to the masses, to the doodles of the presidents. The informational content of these figures and the processing afforded to their creators offers a strong argument for experiential learning. Drawing is only one example of the many different ways to create engaging creative learning opportunities for students. To hear more how experiential learning was playing out in A-plus schools across the network, I reached out to a couple of A-plus leaders and asked them about it. The first was Leanne Thomas, principal of China Grove Elementary School, a second-year A-plus school in the Rowan Salisbury School District. For Leanne and her staff, it all starts with collaboration. Well, I think that what I would like to brag on for my staff is that we've worked really hard on the collaboration piece of it. So the collaboration between classroom teachers and our specialists. And one of the fruits of those labors has been the explosion in experiential learning. Um, we see a whole lot more of experiences for children happening not only in classrooms but in our arts classrooms as well so I think that that has been one of the things that has exploded in the last year or so and I really tie that back to good collaboration amongst those people. Well it's interesting because collaboration is one of our A plus essentials and the more that you uh, investigate them and learn about them the more overlap and interconnectedness there is and so you talked about the collaboration leading to experiential learning yes so do you think that that do you think that that takes um, maybe some of the pressure off of teachers to know that they've got backup sidekicks experts um, co-pilots to help them to design experiential learning? Absolutely, I think it does. I think that that has been, it, it, you know, it's, it's really a relationship between people in the building and you've got to establish that trust first. So once we've gotten that trust established, it's, it's no longer an us and them type of mentality that sometimes you see in schools between specialists and classroom teachers. Um, it really has leveled our playing field. They trust each other. They're willing to go to each other. I think it helped classroom teachers tremendously to see our art specialists putting standards that they're teaching into arts classrooms. So they've gotten the feeling, oh, these art specialists are interested in teaching in an integrated way as well. It's not just me having to integrate. So that I think that is where we've seen experiences for our children take off. I think, you know, you see so much these days about um, teachers building relationships with students. Well, I think teachers need to build relationships with each other as well in order for, especially in an A-plus school, for all those essentials to be interwoven together the way that they're supposed to be. I, I think that, first of all, you, you want to think about the culture of your school, and we've been very deliberate in saying we want you to take risks, and if you fail, that's okay. Tomorrow is a new day. We can try again. There's, there are not going to be any gotchas in 
what we're doing here because we want you to take risks and and we want you to model failure for your kids none of us all of us are going to hit failure at some point in time so we also need to model that for kids so i think all of our teachers we've had some that were quick out of the gate okay you know i'm i'm not comfortable um with music i think one the one of the teachers that really stands out to me is um when we were still in the planning stages with a plus we got invited to the summer institute for a day so i invited a teacher that was going to be new to our school to go with us and we went and of course you guys split us all up so she got some music experiences that day and when we got in the car to come home she said oh my gosh she said that was so not me she said i was uncomfortable all day because i don't sing music is not my thing now this is the same teacher that a mere two years later um, has learned to play ukulele and is using ukulele in her classroom with her kids so it you know it's amazing when you say take a risk learn something new what's the worst thing that can happen you know it, it doesn't go well today mm -hmm. but there's always tomorrow um, and go out and try again so and I think that just about any of our teachers will tell you that when we went to that first training this was what I was really not comfortable with and more and more we're seeing them try things it may be in a small small version of it but they're willing to try what have you seen lately uh, maybe give me some anecdotes or some examples of experiential learning that you've seen in the classrooms um, our kindergarten teachers are currently working on 3D shapes. So they're using some dance and theater. They've asked the children in groups, they put them in groups, asked them to decide on how their shape would move as a 3D shape. And so the children have had to create movement of how a shape would move, a cone or a pyramid. And then the other groups had to guess what they were. So I thought that was a really, a really powerful thing. Our kids are up and moving and doing that. Um, we've also seen up in third grade starting to look at arrays for multiplication and they've used weaving to look at that in that regard. So the kids are creating um, paper weavings that match arrays, which I, I really thought was great too. Um, our, First grades have been using visual masterpieces to help kids identify details in a story such as character, setting, plot, learning to ask questions about a piece. So recently some first graders looked at Starry Night and the teacher was working with them on asking questions. You know, I wonder if the painter used pastels or oils or I wonder if the painter was looking at the night sky when he painted this or I wonder where this painting is from. So really using art in order to dig into elements of a story and teaching children how to ask questions. Just because a lesson is hands-on doesn't mean it is mind-on. In their book, Understanding by Design, Jay McTighe and the late Grant Wiggins described this problem as the sin of activity-oriented design. Instead of focusing on the desired learning outcomes, this approach merely seeks out tasks that might be fun, or at least keep kids busy. The activities, though fun and engaging, do not lead anywhere intellectually. They lack an explicit focus on important ideas and appropriate evidence of learning. 
One of the most frequent causes is the lack of a clear and specific sense of purpose. When Wiggins visited classrooms, he always asked kids these three questions. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? And what does this help you do that's important? The other common answer is that the activity needs to be processed in terms of what was and what wasn't learned. It is key that students explain this independently. Many teachers think that just because they may have said something about the purpose at the start, that therefore students can answer these questions later on. It is often not the case. To continue my exploration of what made experiential learning minds on, I gave Carrie Menine, principal at one of our oldest A-plus schools, Saluda School, a call. Saluda has been with the A-plus network nearly since the beginning, coming on board in 1996. I asked her for an example of minds on experiential learning that was taking place at her school. We have groups of children in grades three, four, five. We have an enrichment group. So all students participate in this enrichment group. We have the classes split in half so that one group will go to our music teacher and she might be doing theater arts, um, recorders, or um, guitar. And then the other half will go to our AIG teacher for enrichment. And they do this, they'll switch They'll be in those groups for 30 minutes and then they'll switch. So what our enrichment teacher, our AIG teacher, does with all the children, but he has a half a class so it's much easier, is he tries to do some um, build and design, which I think um, really readily lends itself to real-world application because the students are starting with a basic plan and um, they're using some woodworking. So. They'll come in, they'll, they'll make a plan, and they'll say, okay, we're all going <clears> to <throat> start out, we're going to make a car. So he kind of starts it out, the first one, when they're doing their woodworking, is with building a car. So it'll kind of be more guided. Um, and then he opens up later on to, you know, what do you want to make? So they have to plan it, they have to measure the car, they have to design it. And I guess the problem that they're trying to solve to make it more prob problem-based learning is you have to get this car. You're going to race this car in the spring, so you've got to get this car to go as fast as it can. Um, and so he'll use ramps with them, which ties in your forces in motion. He'll graph it. He'll collect data. So they'll go through the process. They'll stand. He'll get with the art teacher. She'll collaborate with him. She will make sure the children, you know, make uh, designs on it, put any... Um, labels they want in the car, paint the car, get it sanded and perfected, and they'll go back to him. We've had other classrooms where they've set up businesses, where the children are trying to be little entrepreneurs. They'll take a problem, then they'll figure out, okay, you know, here's something that I'm going to design. I'm going to make a product. I'm going to sell it. The teacher will sell, like, um, not, not actually sell, but she'll say, if you need to see how many you're going to make, you need to tell me how much of these supplies you need, and I'll tell you how much each supply would cost you. You have to figure out a budget, and then she um, had like an informant. We did have parents come, and they um, they bought the little things, and then they went back to see if they made a profit. So I love seeing those things. I think those are your you know looking at a um, problem, trying to solve a real world problem, putting hands on into it, trying to have your real world applications. For your experiential learning, I think we do a good job of it. I would love to see more of that happen. So I think that's where um, I'd love to see others, what other schools do in that aspect with their experiential learning as well. I love that you really are dedicated to making sure that it's 
tied back to some sort of real life application. Um, and I think that it experiential learning engages learners on multiple levels. So it definitely pushes your AIG students. But tell me on your experience, how does experiential learning help to engage learners that might otherwise be disengaged? Okay, here's a great example. Um, when I was talking to the AIG teacher, I said, um, how is that going with the children? How are, you know, how are these cars going? Because um, I wasn't sure because I thought, you know, I don't even know if I'd really like woodworking that much. And he said, you know, honestly, he, he said there's these two little girls that um, come in and he said, um, and they're one of the little girls, she's so, she's very active. And the other one, uh, they both have a little difficult home life and uh, they don't have, um, I think someone to actually be able to sit there with them and to work on something and to teach them and for trial and error. So he said these two little girls, when they come in to the media center for enrichment, they're the first ones that are all excited, like, what are we going to do today? I can't wait to do this. And they have more patience with sanding the, the cars and stuff. So I think it may go back to with, with the hands-on stuff and with the doing is not having those experiences at home so the children who you may think you know are who are struggling with the paper and the pencil and the movement and the little wiggles they get in there and they start doing this and it's like wow look at this project I'm so proud of myself they're very engaged in it and um, they have more patience and it just seems like because they're doing they're they're um, they're able to focus more so I really think it helps them. And those are the ones where it's like, wow, I never thought she'd be able to do that. But look at this. She comes in here and she does fantastic, although in the classroom with her uh, learning a different way may not be so. So it gives them all an opportunity to shine. And then sometimes the AIG kids, they, they struggle with some of this stuff. You know, seeing, you know, trying to take something from 2D to 3D, they may struggle with it more, which is a good, it's good to provide them with that challenge. This sounds to me, because a lot of our schools are going more into project-based learning or they're opening up, you know, special maker spaces. And I feel like it's great that kids are getting these opportunities, but it's also starting to make those experiences seem exceptional rather than everyday. It may just be that we don't recognize what's happening on the smaller scale as experiential learning because it doesn't happen in the makerspace or it doesn't happen with a certain teacher. I absolutely think that. The other day I was in a first grade classroom and I just popped my head in. I'm like, ooh, it smells so good in here. And she said, oh, we're making applesauce. And I said, oh, that she had a crock pot and the children had just all, you know, peeled their apples and put them in uh, to the crock pot. And so um, so that is, and I, well, I asked her, I said, why are, you, why are you making applesauce? And she said, oh, they were, you know, we were graphing three different types of apples and tasting them one day this week. And then she said she had mentioned something about applesauce. And they said, oh, you didn't even know it was. A couple of them were like, no, we've never had applesauce. So she said, mm -hmm. I decided we were going to take that as a learning opportunity, follow a recipe, and make it. So that is also um, things that the ch teachers are doing every day. They'll, they'll, they'll take a book and they'll do some type of extension activity with it. So I think it's, it is happening every day. It's just not the bigger, the, the bigger projects like you said.
As we've heard, programming information into the human supercomputer can be done in a variety of experiential ways. However, recent brain research shows us that the human brain, although amazingly agile at storing and recalling information, does not function on strict logic. The brain is divided into two hemispheres so that it can produce two different views of reality. One of the hemispheres, the right, focuses on the big picture. The left focuses on details. Both are essential. If you can't see the big picture, you don't understand what you're doing. If you can't home in on the details, you can't accomplish the simplest tasks. Storing and recall of information is only the most basic function of our wonderful brain. The real power lies in the ability to use that information to analyze, make judgments, build connections, find layers of meaning, and imagine. It's this desire to make sure that hands and brains are on and both hemispheres are fully engaged that drives A-plus professional development. Okay. Where's Bum? Where's Biddy? from Kannapolis, North Carolina. Okay. And how was your day? It was fantastic. What'd you do? We learned about how to use shadow puppets um, to integrate it into um, science and social studies units. Very cool. As well as math and literacy. That's a lot. What's your name? Where are you from? Megan. I'm also from Kannapolis. And how was your day? It was amazing. What'd you do? Um, collaborated with new teammates. We have a lot of new staff members. So we got to meet them. This is the first time we've met them. So we got to meet them, collaborate, learn them, and help them learn the arts. So it's a great day. Very good. What's your name? Where are you from? My name is Jason Irving from GW Carver in Kannapolis City. What did you learn to do today? It was my first year at it, and I learned really how easy it is to integrate so many different ways of the arts into just the regular day of school. your name? Shannon Hamilton. Shannon Hamilton, how was your day? Uh, a plus, I give it an A plus. <laughs> Those are just some of the moments captured at our professional development conferences last summer. To learn more about A plus training and to see video of what it looks like in action, visit our website www.ncarts.org slash a plus schools. 
That's www.ncarts.org slash A-P-L-U-S dash schools. Remember that computer acronym from the top of this podcast? GIGO? Garbage in, garbage out? Or in other words, the output is as only as good as the programming. So far, we've explored the programming, experiential learning. And we've learned that the human as computer analogy is flawed. The brain is more than a biochemical filing cabinet. It's a dream generator, an innovative engine, and under the right circumstances, able to synthesize endless possibilities. So, how does one assess the output of this marvelous gray matter? One A-plus answer is enriched assessment. In my conversation with Leanne Thomas, I revisited the concept of GIGO and how experiential learning bookends with enriched assessment. I think that that's something that even in two years we've seen a huge jump in that. I think that previously you have kindergartners that come in the building and they're imaginative and they're creative and then somehow just the way that with state assessments are structured and things like that that by the time they're in third fourth and fifth grades they're not as creative. It, It is very rigid thinking um, type of thing. There's a right answer, there's a wrong answer type of thing. And I think that A-plus gives our older children still that opportunity, like you said, to massage the brain, to think about things at different angles, um, to, to come at a problem multiple ways. And if this way won't work, let's think of another solution um, for this. How can we show this in a different way? How can we explain it in a different way? And I think that we're starting to see the fruits of those labors in our upper grades, that we have kids that are being creative and being willing to take risks and willing to show grit and come at things from a different angle, thanks to A+. In A-plus schools, enriched assessment is a reflective practice that is designed for learning. It is inclusive of arts and multiple learning pathways. It is ongoing, integrated, experiential, and collaborative. It is used both as self-assessment by teachers and students and to help meet school system requirements. Enriched assessment is instrumental in creating a comprehensive picture of student learning. Enriched assessment helps to answer these questions. What do I want my students to learn? How will I know when they've learned it? How will they know if they've learned it? How will others, including parents, know when they've learned it? How will I document both the outcomes I planned for and those I didn't plan for? And what needs to happen next? I think for us with the enriched assessment, we're, we're still, to me, in the beginning stages of that. But again, teachers are mm-hmm. starting to branch out and take risks with that and say, oh, yes, we could really assess in kindergarten if they can skip count. Instead of doing it on paper, why don't we do it during calendar and I have a checklist, and we stand up in March and do it. So I think that the teachers are starting to think about how we're assessing children differently. Um, and right now, what I see in our building is it's we're using it a lot for informal assessment. 
So we're doing an activity and teachers are informally assessing students' content knowledge. Um, we haven't translated quite all the way yet to, okay, we're at the end of a unit um, and let's Let's do an enriched assessment to see what they know. I think that our three through five teachers are still struggling with, we know we've got this integrated test at the end of the year. So we need to prepare them for that. And that's pencil and paper. So we probably need to do this pencil and paper. We're, we're still trying to find a good sweet spot between the two. Here's Carrie Menin again. We do a lot of reflection um, with our students as well because we feel like growth takes place through reflection. And when students have the opportunity to reflect on their learning, and, and it could be, um, for example, our music teacher. She may have the students watch a piece on a video, and then she may have them create, and then they'll critique their own video mm -hmm. of what they watch, their own piece. Um, and then they'll reflect on that and say, hey, how can I improve? What did I need to do? What do I need to do? Um, they'll reflect on each other's and do a self-assessment. And they'll also, um, when the teachers turn in those graded work samples to me each month, that's something else that they include besides the rubric. They'll include those um, self-reflection sheets that they did on, their, on themselves and that they may have done a peer um, reflection as well or a peer evaluation. So it sounds like there's a lot of higher order thinking, a lot of critical thinking, a lot of um, self-evaluation going on. It's not just about the, the assessment itself. It's about the thinking that goes into creating the assessment. Those 21st century skills, I think the enriched assessments bring out those four C's and those 21st century skills more than anything else that we do. In a recent article on MindShift.com, fifth grade teacher Raina Freeman shared how she encourages her students to sketch their notes rather than copy word for word. I thought if the kids had another way to show me what they were learning, I would know what other kids were getting out of it, she said. To keep her students focused on the process of capturing ideas rather than producing a masterpiece, she's careful to use phrases like visual thinking and doodling to learn. Friedman uses the technique for teaching and assessment. It allows me to ask better questions because I'm not just looking at a simple answer or a paragraph, she says. I'm trying to interpret what's in front of me, too. Special needs teacher Carrie Balkum agrees. It's an active process which appeals to many of her students, but it also produces deeper engagement with the material. She points out how much cognitive processing is happening as students sketchnote. They're listening to information, making sense of it, connecting it to other information they know, and to a visual image, and then drawing it. She says that sketchnoting has helped her students learn, and stretched her mindset about what students with learning disabilities could and couldn't do. Students sharing what they know in creative and engaging ways is a hallmark of A+, so much so that we've coined a term for it, informants. Informal, informative sharing of understanding by students for parents, community, and other students. These informances can also be used as enriched assessments. Another thing we do uh, is the informances. Not just with the uh, parents. I think this also, this kind of shows a little bit with the, um, like maybe more of a real world or an authentic um, assessment where the children know, hey, I'm going to be informing 
somebody else about my new learning. So that's another way that you can do your enriched assessment. So what we've done here, instead of just having the parents come in, which we did just have our fall informants, and the parents came in, we did make or takes, and the students and the families went around to different stations for like 15 minutes, and they made something that tied into the standards that they were learning, and they showed it to their parents, and they made it with their families, and then they could take it home. It's sort of um, helping parents understand a little bit about what we do here at the school, but it's also a reinforcement of, hey, I can do this at home with my child. And it was also the child really informing and teaching the parent, hey, this is what I learned, and this is what I can show you that I can do, and then we can do it together. So the informants, besides just doing it with the families, we do it with the classrooms. So if you've got a fifth grade class studying the water cycle, and you have second graders studying the water cycle, what better way than to have them each learn about different aspects of it and then get together and inform different classes or even a buddy of, of their new learning. You mentioned that the teachers also are creating these enriched assessments, so you know, either visual or performance opportunities to show what you know, but they're talking with the students about the development of the rubrics. So tell me more about that and why that conversation is important. Okay, um, I think if the students are able to help decide what's going to be evaluated and what success looks like, that they are more apt to work toward that. So the teachers will use the North Carolina standards and the children and the teacher will decide, hey, this is our goal. What does it look like if we get a four? What does exemplary look like? What does it look like if we get a one? What if we don't make that? And then the, the students and the teacher are able to go through that together. And still, you can still show it in a different way. You can still show it through, you know, you might want to do creative writing, and you're going to write it out so that I understand that you understand that specific standard. OK, but you still have to meet that criteria um, in the rubric. So I think it benefits the students because they're more invested in the process, because they've had a, um, a little bit of a decision making in the evaluation piece. Plus, the teachers provide more meaningful feedback to move students forward. It's more specific feedback instead of just, hey, I'm in charge of all the grading. I'm going to do it. And of course, teachers can't do this for every lesson. But if they can do it for the lessons that the students are having the most difficult with and try to come up with a variety of different ways children can show what they know, then I think it um, helps students be more focused and more engaged in that process. When practiced consistently, experiential learning and enriched assessment allows teachers to shine as well. I don't think anyone wants to go into teaching to have a teacher's manual and read a script all day long. I think that teachers get into teaching because, number one, they love kids. Number two, they love a subject area. And then number three, they do like to be creative. They do like to come up with neat ideas and see little light bulbs come on in the classroom. When I do teacher interviews, that is one of the most common answers you get is that they want to be a teacher because they love it when that little light bulb, when they can see it in a kid's eyes, that they understand something and that they've been a part of that. So I think that A-plus 
allows teachers to do that. They get to come at things in creative ways and see light bulbs come on for different kids at different times and in totally different ways. It's not just that I understood multiplication because you put it down on this piece of paper, but because I did this weaving, now I get what an array is. I see it now and I've made this array and I'm gonna take it home and put it on my refrigerator and I'll explain to my mom what an array is. Remember the painting on the cave wall in Indonesia? The one with the jungle buffaloes and the wild pigs and hunters? They appear to be human, but they seem to have some features or characteristics of animals. One appears to have a bird-like head, and another has a tail. Archaeologist Adam Brum says that these part-human, part-animal figures might signal early religious beliefs because they indicate that ancient humans could imagine things they had never seen. We can't know if it has anything to do with spirituality, he says, but at least we could say that those artists were capable of the sorts of conceptualizations that we need in order to believe. In a 1984 article, Keith Haring said, the human imagination cannot be programmed by a computer. Our imagination is our greatest hope for survival. By incorporating experiential learning and enriched assessment into everyday teaching, educators are cultivating the creative, practical, and wise adults we need tomorrow. And that's what makes them essentially A+. Thank you for listening to Essentially A+, a production of A-Plus Schools of North Carolina. To find out more about A-Plus, check us out on the web at www.ncarts.org slash A-Plus-Schools. And join the conversation about experiential learning and enriched assessment on our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash A-Plus-NC.